I'm Ginger. And I'm Dutch. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Ginger and Dutch here on the Ginger and Dutch podcast on a snowy day in late January. Dutch and I get together for episode four of season two. Dutch, come on in. How we doing? How we doing? I was just uh, listening to uh, Jones and Smith on uh, on my way home before we started the cast and uh, reminiscent of uh, Kobe Bryant a year today. Uh, I'm going to watch some highlights tonight and just think back at how... uh, how the the shock of the world was um, a year ago today. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that uh, how fast time flies. One of the greatest of all time leaving us. Um, Way too early, early, obviously. Had a lot of uh, unfinished business on this earth and uh, tough to see somebody like that go. Um, What you love about Kobe is just the human factor. You know, good times, bad times. Uh, He was human. Yeah. And they had, and they had, uh, they had a couple of real special guests. They had the former voice uh, of the Lakers on. Uh, this was on the Jones and Smith show, and it was just good just listening to to how how great of a of a guy he was in such a short time. So, anyways, uh, you know what? Not to be somber on it, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. I'm definitely gonna watch some some old highlights of Kobe tonight, and um, just to kind of get me back in the mood. But lots to talk about today. I'm I'm excited. So. Uh, where do you want to go there, my friend? Yeah, I'm actually gonna uh, actually gonna go right where everyone thought I was gonna go, and uh, I'm gonna throw a curveball as well to you here. Uh, thanks to all the the listeners, friends, family, everybody out there, tried to give me a little pick me up over the last couple of days after my beloved beloved Buffalo Bills um, season ended on Sunday at the hands of uh, the new great one, Patrick Mahomes, but. Uh, I wanted to kind of explain how I felt and, and how, you know, some people may or may not see how I, I look at football here. And, and um, yeah, when I, when I watch the game, I have an emotional attachment to it. And, and I've actually never even explained this to, uh, to you, but my emotional, emotional attachment to the game of football happens not only at the time and the, the money spent, but the, the memories of it. Right. When when you when you go down to these games and, and you're you're there and you're active, you're you know, you're having a good time and you're going to enjoy the, that time. You're going to enjoy those memories. But it's it's the lifelong memories and the friends that are involved. You know, I, I had a social media post on the weekend on Saturday about, uh, you know, all the people. And, and I what I tried to do with that post was I tried to include all the people that I remember taking them either to their first game or going to a game with them or experiencing the tailgate the way that me and you like to experience the tailgate. That's what the human factor brings back to that emotional attachment. And and to me, maybe I think that's why I do get so emotionally attached to, you know, not only this team, but football in general and and other sports, golf, uh, the like, um, which brings it such an emotional attachment to me. I don't know if that makes sense. But uh, just a quick little explanation from from my end of, as to you know why I maybe get a little bit more emotionally attached than than some other people may. Well, you know what, and and it, yeah, all of those are great points, and I'm I'm glad you shared that with our listeners because because you know some of our other buddies, you know, we chirp back and forth about oh, 
Steffi might be having a heart attack with this game coming up. And you know what? It, it, it was. You've always said it. It's been a long time. I remember one time you almost threw the towel in after all these years with it. But um, how, yeah, how deeply ingrained sports is to all of your friends. And that's why the friends that you have and we have are why we are still all friends because we have that same common bond, which is cool. You know, and at the end of the day, and I explained this to you the other day, I know it's hard to hear it because it was the first time that you really got to experience. I mean, last year, yeah, we had a playoffs and the, the Bills made the playoffs and it was a lot of fun up uh, up at uh, Casa Kerr um, and we were let down with that game. But, you know, at the end of the day, we wake up the next day and here we are talking about sports two days later and, and I'm over it. Um, I know it might take a little bit more for you, but there's bigger and better days to come. And it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's sport. It's entertainment. You know, it's why I put $5 on a game. It's why I, I bring you over, vice versa, like you say. And we watch these games and we have Super Bowl parties and we have all these things. It's truly so we can talk about it and we can remember it. And hence the reason why we're doing this podcast. That's so that, right. So that yeah. in 20 years from now, we can go back and go, oh my God, you remember talking about this? Yep, that's right. And looking at our predictions and, and all the, like you said, just the, the memories that it creates and and the bond that it creates um, on the human element with, with friends and friendships and memories. So yeah, let's, well, uh, let's fire into uh, rapid fire. All I right. You, I, I get know to you, start off on to go this. First. Absolutely. Yeah. I get to start off on it, which is good. So uh, we've got a few good topics here and uh, I'll just start off right off the bat, you know, major league baseball. We've got the blue Jays, uh, Springer came, here we go. There may be more to come, but more importantly, the hall of fame class tonight, is anybody going to get in? I mean, traditionally, it's one of the hardest to crack. So I'm asking you, what's going to happen with this year's class? I think the biggest guy would be a Kurt Schilling. And with all the BS going on, tell me, talk to me. Yeah, I think, you know what? I went back, I looked at uh, all the classes all the way back to uh, the the early 60s, or sorry, the late 60s. And there's never been a year that that I could see from my records and, and our listeners are can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but that not one person has got in. There's been some years with ones and twos, 2012 with Barry Larkin and, and Ronnie Santo, uh, 2000, sorry, 2012, that is 2002 with Ozzie Smith by himself. Um, 1988 um, was a single year as well. I'm going on record right now on the Ginger and Dutch podcast. I don't think anybody's getting in. Schilling's going to be as close, but all the projecting projections from what I saw this morning, there was 191 votes in, and that's about half, just under halfway to uh, to the total ballot. Nobody's projected to get in right now. Nobody's at that 75%. Schilling, after 190, uh, 191 votes, like I said, was closest at 74.86, so he's .24 off, so he's got a, a shot, but the likes of Bonds and Helton and Clemens and Scotty Rowland. Um, I don't think anybody's getting in this year. I really don't. I firmly believe that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see once we get a final, uh, a final ballot come through, we'll be able to spark up our Bonds and Clemens debate again. Yeah, for sure. I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I don't think anybody's going to get in. Uh, I was listening to the guys talking again and we did our homework on it. Um, it could be a it could be your time will tell as we record tonight, uh, which is Tuesday. Uh, it, it's it starts. Uh, I guess it's at six p.m. tonight is when they start to do some announcements. So, topic number two on the rapid fire: the UFC getting a huge uptake in some of their viewership over the last six seven months here, and uh, what I think is still their number one draw. Uh, draw Conor McGregor gets his ass handed to him on the weekend. 
I know you were able to watch the fight, Dutch. What do we think? Yeah, you're right. Dana White just uh, and company, they just still are doing a fantastic job promoting. And, and, you know, I watched it. The reviews were solid. Connor looked, I don't want to say out of shape, but um, he just might not have been right into it. And it makes me wonder if that was Dana's plan all along. Um, you know, make, make no mistake, Dustin Poirier, um, he gets full marks for, for that win. Um, but Connor will be back. You know, you can't write that guy off. He'll be back. But I don't even want to talk about Connor right now. Is the, the fight that kind of intrigued me the most was was the co-main event. They brought in, uh, they got this uh, Michael Chandler. And I'm, I'm sorry because I, I don't follow crazy, crazy, although I, I do watch most of the events. And Dana paid a lot of money to bring in Chandler. And he took on the big Kiwi, uh, Dan Hooker. And, and it was an awesome fight. And Chandler knocked him out. He was a huge underdog. And, you know, well done. Uh, UFC didn't disappoint again. And uh, I, I was impressed. Uh, it was, in my opinion, one of the fight, fights of the night. Um, so I think you've got to look for him to come up in the ranks. I, I wanted to touch quickly on GSP. Uh, you know, I was just going to ask you, is he, is he going to come back here? Well, he, he's, he's, he's it's sounding like he wants to come back. But, I mean, after watching what McGregor did, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, McGregor, I believe, is going to be back. And I still – he's going to kick ass and take some names. He just – for GSP's sake, you know, you better, if you're coming back, you better, you better take a lesser known guy on to start and don't just jump right back in the ring with Khabib or something. Cause if not, it's, uh, it's going to tarnish his legacy. I think, uh, he's still, in my opinion, the, the pound for pound best MMA UFC of all time. And I'd hate for him to come, come in there and look the way Connor did this, uh, this past couple, uh, or this past, uh, fight. So. Yeah, and I think I think you're onto something there. I think for Dana White too to to have that that big draw or have the the big money maker, maybe book it a little bit more like a like a boxing um, promoter would do. Maybe give him a couple fights that you think he's you know we all know getting in the octagon it's it's you know anybody can beat anybody, but give him a couple guys to to what we say for lack of a better term squash, and then give him the big fight and you've got a huge draw at that point. Yeah, it was a bit of a mistake with, and I know they're setting it up for uh, for a Dustin Poirier, uh, um, uh, another rematch to go because yep. they're they're one and one. You got it, and that's that's how it's going to drag on. So it'll be interesting to see. But uh, next topic, let's get into it. NCAA. I know this is uh, it's going to be a big topic of ours in the coming weeks. So we've got March. Well, March Madness is still a while away, but what's going on with NCAA? I know you finally gave me your two picks. Um, you always do, and you're usually pretty much spot on. Um, and they were away from the Zags and, and Baylor, the two undefeated teams, which I still believe the, the Zags are going to go undefeated. They got an easy schedule the rest of the way. But give us an early update, new tournament format. Um, where are we going? Yeah, you know what? It, it, you know me. I, I, I'm not always uh, – I don't always like to take the chalk. And if I can avoid it, then I will, and and uh, I'll I'll submit once we do our big little NCAA review here in a few weeks as we as we gear closer to to the uh, end of February and, and early March for most of our listeners that will start really tuning in at that point. Um, you know, I tried to stay away with it from it if I can, but huge news here on the in the NCAA uh, tournament and one to kind of give a prep for our our listeners here. First off, let's talk about teams. Very very important here. We're at a at a crossroads here in NCAA men's basketball, and especially for some of these 
people that are going to tune into this tournament. There's going to be some teams this year. You watch, folks, that are not going to be in this tournament. Some big household names start with, first off, Michigan State University, MSU, Tom Izzo, 2-4 and four in the conference start, only 8-4 and four total. They are already starting to lean towards a bubble team here as we move forward. The Kentucky Wildcats, John Calipari, four and three in the conference, five and nine to start. He always has these rookies, freshmen come in, and he has been able to turn them over year after year, which is the trend in college basketball because you only need to spend a year or two, or sorry, two years in college basketball to make it towards the NBA because of the age restrictions. Kentucky might be out here in this year's 2021 tournament and a name everybody will know, Mike Krzyzewski and the Duke Blue Devils have lost three in a row, three and three in the conference, five and five. That's only 500 folks, and they are a severe bubble team here moving forward, and there's only about five or six weeks left here. So some of these big household teams are going to have to make a push. A couple other teams to watch, some of the host teams, the Butler Bulldogs, Indiana in the Big Ten. Um, nine and seven for Indiana right now. Uh, Butler Bulldogs are four and five, five and seven total. Those are teams that they may not be able to participate, uh, even though they're hosting this tournament. Massive, massive names. You just threw me right off there, and, and I know I've been paying attention, but I don't know how I'm even going to make a an NCAA bracket because those are the staples. But you know what? Maybe NCAA football should pay attention because it, it is kind of nice to see, um, and maybe there is a, a, a mix up. So it's going to be very interesting. Talk to me about the tournament real quick. Like, how is it? Is, is it working? Uh, how are they setting up the? Because clearly they're not going to go all across the uh, the country. They're going to be uh, stationed in a few, from what you were telling me earlier. So. Give us a little bit of, of what that's about. Yeah, for sure. Um, the first thing that we're going to see is uh, late February, early March. Some of these teams that feel that they've got an automatic bid, and there's 37 automatic bids, uh, or sorry, at-large bids, so teams that qualify on their record or who they've played against, and then 31 what we call um, automatic bids, which is you win your conference tournament. So if these teams um, build a resume that they feel that they're going to get an at-large bid, due to who they've played and who they've beat, i.e. the, you know, those teams that are ranked typically between eight and 20, you may not see them play in their conference tournament to avoid one and one thing only. You need seven consecutive tests, COVID tests to be able to be on your way to Indiana to qualify, to be able to play in this NCAA tournament for the first time ever in history, folks, it's one site. They're playing at the Hinkle field house, McKay arena, the Banker's Life Fieldhouse, Indiana Farmers Coliseum, and Lucas Oil Stadium. So between Butler, Indiana State, and uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, that'll be the, the kind of the big hosts here. And they're going to use um, a variety of stadiums. And they're changing up also the dates in which uh, our typical days of the week that these games are going to be played on. First round, typically on a Thursday and Friday. And then your Thursday would match your Saturday. has now been flipped over to Friday, Saturday. And the second round now goes Sunday, Monday, which changes it up. And then we go right back into it at that point um, with the Sweet 16 instead of a Thursday, Friday night um, where we would do our kind of big party and extravaganza for the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 on those Thursdays and Friday nights. That's been pushed over to Saturday and Sunday. And then the Elite 8 is going Monday and Tuesday. And that's just to be able to get teams in in and out um, of Indiana 
and uh, they feel it's better set up for their COVID schedule. So um, our viewing uh, days are going to need to change on this tournament, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Great insight. Great insight for all of our listeners because uh, there's a lot of just casual fans that will be going, what's going on, where's the, where's it happening? So um, amazing. Good work. Well, thank you, Dutch. Let's flip over to uh, number four. You've been bang on. You've been dialed in on it. I know you're excited for it to come back, and that's the NHL. We had a big trade in the NHL. We've had some surprise teams, some down teams. Give us, uh, give us a feel for what's happening on, uh, on the rink. Well, I'll correct you since it's the third uh, rapid fire, but you're bang on uh, big trade. Uh, first one going out the door. Uh, and I think it's a win-win for both. Uh, well, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe uh, Patrick Line might not be able to handle a good old torts, but we got Line heading out to, which is it's a bit of old news, but he's heading to Columbus. Uh, they were both disgruntled. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, they were both disgruntled. Off to Winnipeg. Um if he can handle it, I think it's a, I think it's a, a good trade. I just don't know if you'll be able to play in uh, Torts' system and, you know, who knows. I think you're going to see some more trades too, just the way uh, everything's unfolding. Some early surprises for me though. Uh, you know what? I want to start with, um, um, well, before I get into the surprises is how messed up it still is. You know, the Vancouver Canucks played their eighth game yesterday. A bunch of teams have played seven, and yet we still have the Dallas Stars. We still have the Florida Panthers. They're at two, and we've got Carolina at only playing three games. So it's still a little bit of jumble here and there. But one of the teams that surprised me is uh, is the Minnesota Wild. You know, they're off to a four and two start. We never talked about them uh, in our in our pre picks, our pre discussion at all. But they're playing a nice, nice, tight checking game and you know they've used four different goalies already which i don't know if that's all due to um you know you know injury or just how they're they're maneuvering around but they've all put in and they've all been produced uh productive across the board so the other two big production out of there was uh matt dumba and uh Suter. those guys are putting 20 plus minutes in there and they're doing just a, a hell of a job in the back end so look for them to continue rolling yeah the other they've, teams, got, they've got go that ahead. young uh, young rookie uh kirill uh Kapinzoff. Um, that's put up, I think, six points here early on and is the kind of the early front runner for the Calder. You, you nailed it. And he was, I was just going to bring him up too. You, you nailed talking about that. And, uh, you know, they still have some bets that, you know, Parisi's just doing his yep. thing, but they're, 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 they play that tight style that I just, I think they'll be um, around for a playoff if they continue to do what they're doing. I'm just not sure if they're going to stick with Cam Talbot now or how they're going to go down the, the goalie front. But in any event, they're all uh, producing. Um, on a on a crappier note, let's you know we 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 had uh, we had a special guest on when we were talking Buffalo Buffalo Sabers Buffalo uh, uh, Bills, but the Sabers same old it seems you know um, they're they're second to the back of the bus in the East. Uh, they've only had put together five points in their last six games, and you know okay their core with uh, Eichel and Haller they're off to a good start. They've they've both both put in I think they're you know six or seven points collectively, but. The fact of the matter is, is their top six guys are minus 16. I'm sorry, but you just are not going to win games. And I don't think they're good enough to make the playoffs. Yeah, tough to argue. Tough to argue on that one. Um, and a couple of, you know, Hall and Eichel, they, they had, a, I think, one big night where they each had, uh, you know, two, three points. And that's about it. Like, it, it's they're not, they're not night in, night out, putting in, you know, two-point nights each night, three or four nights in a row. It's, it, you know, one big night and then, three nights where they're completely shut down. Right. So yeah, yeah. And you're, you're not going to win like that. No, I exactly. And I guess the, the last point that I want to make with the NHL is I think the biggest thing that I've seen so far is, is you really just don't have an idea of 
how good I mean, we know where the Leafs are, you know, they're at the top of their division, but how good are they? How good are these teams when, and I don't know if we're really going to figure it out until it comes playoffs. When you're playing the same teams over and over again, it's hard to judge, you know, what's the best division, what, um, you know, who are the best teams? Are they going to, you know, be head and shoulders when they, when they start to blend into the playoffs, you know, are the Leafs as good as where they are with their record? Are they going to compete in these, these playoffs? They just had a, you know, they've already started the injury bug. You know, Big Bad Joe's out. I just heard today that uh, uh, Campbell, they're, uh, the backup's out for a long, long time. So they got Hutchison coming up. Not that that's a big, you know, um, a big thing. But who is good? Uh, you know, do, do you agree with what I'm getting at there? Yeah. For, I, you, you, there's just no, there's no common opponents. There's no um, interconference play. There's none of that going on where you can start to judge and get a real good feel that, you know, hey, this division's playing well against against the West, you know, or the West is continually beating the East. And on a typical year, you would get that feel for and really have a feel for, okay, who's the stronger conference? All right, so we know one conference is going to be better than the other. And then out of those conferences, okay, who's the strong division and, and what teams are in that division? How are they traveling? So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when it comes playoff time and, and we do get um, finally out of these divisions, um, who is going to be the the ruler of the roost per se? Yeah, time's going to tell. And uh, you know what? We're we're a long way away. There's lots of hockey, so we'll see what happens if um, you know if 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 COVID continues to to damper the scheduling. If they start changing up the the way they're doing their games, and you know, lots of four games in five nights. So time will tell. Uh, hopefully, the injury bug doesn't um, make uh, a big impact when it gets closer to playoffs. You, you surprised right. by Montreal Dutch? Yeah, you know what? No, we we talked about it. We we talked about it. I'm I'm because I am. Oh yeah, I, you know what? I they have a, a good. They've got four solid lines, you know. And I I'm going to use the hockey term, you know. They're all firing on all cylinders, and <laughs> no, and and are we, and, are we going to start getting pucks deep and, and working hard and getting shots on the net? <laughs> exactly. But you know who's uh, who's going to be a big big help for these guys is uh, is Jake Allen. Um, the, there's because uh, it also in turn helps. Carry Price. Yeah, um, the pressure's not all on him, and if they can get a good one-two punch, you know there was a lot of a lot of the prognosticators, a lot of the guys, uh, including the TSM panel, including some of the guys that we, uh, you know, usually disagree with them. Um, they 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 thought Montreal could could sneak up there in that two-three spot. Yep. So there you go. I I didn't think I didn't have them. I I'm Adam. I hope they keep it going and and prove me wrong. But I didn't have them there. And Crosby, what a good start for him to. Uh, for Pittsburgh, I thought that that was going to be, um, you know, the beginning of the end a little bit here for Sydney. But uh, I think seven points in eight games, pretty good start. And they're yeah. uh, they're flying again. Yeah, he's already telling the naysayers that, hey, I still got a couple years left in me for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, we already, you know, you, you talked briefly. This is uh, number four here. We just saw the conference championships. Kansas City dismantled Buffalo. Tampa Bay taking down Green Bay. So I'm going to say, where do you have them? But before I say who, okay, you know, the Bucks looked great. I, I think they did. You know, Brady gets yet another a, a chance. We already know he's the GOAT, okay? This is his 10th Super Bowl coming up. But the other game, which we know was a big disappointment, is Andy Reid, the best coach ever. Are you going to let me state my case? I, I I was a naysayer for a long time, but I, I 
spit it out, fire it up. Tell me where you're at. All right. 22 years as the, as the head coach, 14 in Philly, eight in KC listeners, 130, 93 and one in Philly, 91 and 37 in eight years in Kansas city, 220 wins all time. That's sixth all time in total coaches in the NFL. You include the playoffs in there. That's fifth all time going in. He's got a six twenty nine winning percentage in his 22 years as the head coach. Only three losing seasons in those in those uh, 22 years. 16 out of 22 years he's been in the playoffs. Four, 17 and 14 inside the playoffs. He's got an NFC championship, two AFC championships, and one Super Bowl. That's just as a head coach. Now we go back 92 to 98. He brings the Packers in 97 and 98 to back-to-back Super Bowls as the quarterback coach to one of the best quarterbacks of all time, Brett Favre. He gets into two Super Bowls. They win one. This guy is absolutely phenomenal. One of the best offensive minds in football history. There's absolutely no doubt. And the second, and to me, the most important part of everything is his coaching tree, who he's developed. Are you ready for some of these names, Dutch? Fired up. Let's start them here. Sean McDermott with Andy Reid for nine years, 2001 to 2010. John Harbaugh, nine years, 98 to 2007 with the Eagles as a special teams coach. Matt Nagy, Doug Peterson, Ron Rivera, Pat Shermer, Steve Spagnola, Eric Bieniemy, Brad Childress, Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, Juan Castillo, Deuce Staley. The list can go on and on. I haven't even got into assistance coordinators and all that stuff. This guy's unbelievable. In 1999, his first year with the Philadelphia Eagles, he had, you ready for this as a staff? Sean McDermott, Eric Bieniemy, Steve Spagnolo, Leslie Frazier, John Harbaugh, Ron, Ron Rivera, Doug Peterson, and Pat Shermer as a first-year head coach hired. This man knows, knows know how to hire. He knows how to develop. He knows how to win. He knows how to build a winning culture. Andy Reid has still got a good six to eight years left. He'll be up inside the top three for all-time wins as a coach. He may, even if he can get to 10, 12 years more as a head coach, approach Don Shula at that 320 mark. Andy Reid, I'm banging the table for you. First ballot Hall of Famer, the best coach in NFL history. That's my case. And I used to argue, and and, and all jokes aside, uh, you know, it's hard to not argue. We used to joke because he, he could never win the big one, but you know what? Correct, yep. The, the amount of... The amount of games he's won by what you just said and all the, the his record and everywhere you know you got to remember he didn't have superstars all the time and he kept winning yeah did he not win the big one yeah and that was my argument but you know you put a couple superstars in there now with his coaching mind and well I don't think Kansas City and that's what we're going to get into uh to next week when we do our our, our huge Super Bowl preview and we're going to get some hopefully a couple special guests on to talk about it but I just can't see Kansas City losing next uh week they uh they're unstoppable when they're healthy. Yeah. And and you you're right it's only 3 3 losing seasons in 22 years. That might be the most impressive stat of it all of it all especially these are these are not this isn't the you know the late 80s and the the early 90s and the 70s where where you had a, a coach and a, a regime that, that players didn't move and, and they were there for the whole time. This is right in the middle of a cap system where 
you know, players are moving in and out and, and, you know, the Buffalo Bills get eliminated from the playoffs and, and the first word about the fan base and the media and everybody's mouth is, okay, who's moving, who's going, where are we moving this? How much cap room do we got? Who's going to stay? Who's going to go? Um, he's been able to juggle all those balls the whole time yep. and continue to win. Yep. Yeah. So yep. impressive. Like- I think Andy Reid's the best coach. I would argue to put up anybody, even the guy up in New England. I think he's better development of people, of players across the board. And he reads the man. Can't argue. Well, Dutch, that was a nice little rapid fire. We had a nice couple convers- nice couple uh, topics on there. Let's send our listeners off the break and we get back. We get to uh, pat ourselves on the back with some absolutely amazing golf picks this week. And we'll give our listeners uh, some picks and talk a little bit about the NBA. Sounds great. We'll catch you on the flip side. This is a great life sitting at the fire. So what's next, guys? I was the champ at washers, beanbag toss, horseshoe, beer pong, even Yahtzee. Uh, Dutch, you're such a front runner. You're so full of yourself. Have another beer. Uncle Dutch, I'll be your partner anytime. Once again, Dutch wins the cottage games again. Full roar. I want a rematch. Absolutely. Me too. Anyways, live from Huntsville, you're listening to the Ginger and Dutch podcast. Dutch, Dutch, help me out here. Can you get the car door there for me? Yeah, yeah, man. Hold on a minute. I got some breakfast here, man. It's breakfast of champions. Try this. What the hell is that, buddy? That is way too greasy. If you spill it all over my car, so help me. Keep your greasy paws off it. Just keep it off my stuff. Dutch, Dutch, I'm suspecting a little bit of hostility here. You know, hostility's a sign of immaturity. Yeah, suck it, immaturity. Just keep your greasy paws off my stuff, God damn it. If Ginger ever learns to eat properly, you'll be listening to our podcast, where Starsky and Hutch are no longer, and it's now Ginger and Dutch. All right, listeners, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment here from the Ginger and Dutch podcast. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We've got a live show coming up. It's our Super Bowl recap. We'll be live on Twitter or Instagram. We'll keep those details to follow, but uh, a fun little interactive session with uh, Ginger and Dutch as we recap what happens at uh, the 2021 Super Bowl between the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Kansas City Chiefs. Dutch, come on in. Uh, time to brag more about our golf picks. Hopefully our listeners listened and made a few uh, a few shekels. The bank account continued to rise this week with an absolutely phenomenal set of picks. You had Patrick Cantley at second outright, a little 65-61 on the weekend. I had Tony Finau in fourth. Abraham Answer tied fifth. Our uh, upset, huge upset pick of the week kept us, uh, kept us going all weekend, the Andrew Putnam. At 205 to 1, 86 to 1 on a top five bet. Uh, was right there all weekend, finished tied 21. And Matty Wolf uh, rounding out the form with five picks inside the top 40 uh, as a T40 for Matt Wolf. Well done. Yeah, you know what? We only had one guy miss the cut. I was just, it was uh, it was such a, a an epic week. Uh, it got lost with all the other sports going on. But you believe Cantley makes the cut on the line and 
on the on the, on uh, Friday. He makes the cut four under just on the number, and then tears it off and almost pulls it off. I was happy. I had all three of those uh, those guys uh, uh, two, four, and uh, and five on my card. So. Um, I ended up getting lucky there. I was um, um, excited to watch. And, and what do we got this week? We've got Tory Pines. Um, it's the start of a nice uh, stretch uh, coming up. Although, you know what, I have to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of Tory Pines. And I'm also not sure. Um, they, they do this all the time. Uh, whenever the U.S. Open hits Tory Pines, which I believe is this year, I just think it's silly that they play the same golf course twice in a year. And I don't know, I'm just not a big fan of, uh, of Tory Pines, but that's just my take on it for sure. Yeah, you know what? It's a it's a bomber's paradise. They've made a lot of changes to the golf course. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what the setup is. It seems every year it's a little bit of a different golf course. I think this year they might, uh, you know, have it playing pretty benign as long as the weather conditions are are helping out, and then try to toughen it up for uh, for the major. Kind of change it up. They don't want to, like you said, give these guys uh, the same feel or too much of the same feel from what they're going to see in this farmers insurance to what they see in a major championship. Yeah, no, I agree on that. And it will be a different uh, course and the weather obviously being uh, different since it's still uh, um, it, it's still winter time and a little different temperatures. So we'll see how it goes. But I'm keeping it simple. I'm going to fire it out there right right off the bat with my big gun of the week. There's just one guy that everybody has to have on their card. It's a no-brainer. I know he had a little bit of a sore back and uh, he took a tiny, tiny little bit of time off. But his new Callaway clubs uh, when he started in Hawaii did not miss a beat. Unlike some of these other guys like Rose, when he switched uh, uh, his clubs last year, he had an awful year. And that's the big Spaniard. John Rom owns Torrey Pines. He's got a win there. He has a second. He's got, I think, five top tens. Um, <laughs> how do you not take him? He's my lock of the week. How do you not take him as my pick? Uh, he's my big gun too. He's he's right in there. T twenty nine and eighteen, fifth and nineteen and second last year. Um, it's time for another win for John Rom. Couldn't agree more. Uh, next pick, uh, you know, I just this is kind of a straight gut feeling. Uh, you know, he loves to bomb it, um, and which is needed here. Uh, he finally had a good result last week, which nobody really even paid attention. I don't even think people even know he played the tournament and he was T sixteen. And he's a U.S. Open champion, and and this course is somewhat familiar. You know, it's a little bit like a Pebble Beach with the same kind of coastal front, uh, which that's where he did win. And he, if he can get his game around, he might be, um, he might move up the ranks to be um, one of the favorites for the U.S. Open. And that's Gary Woodland. I'm taking Gary Woodland as my. Uh, my call it um, in-depth pick. Uh, I don't know where he is. I think he was like 50 to one this week, so it's it's still pretty good odds. But and then I'm going with my long shot. Uh, Joel Damon, 130 to one. <laughs> okay. I know it's like, where, where did that name come from? But you know, he missed the cut last week. He was only minus one, but did you know he was number one? Yes. Uh, last week, Thursday and Friday and stroke gains off the tee. So I think that's huge. He bombs the ball. Um, he had a good finish here. I think he was ninth place uh, in 2019. So I just got a sneaky feeling that he might be able to creep up there and, uh, and try and surprise somebody. So those are my picks. I like it. I like it. I like those picks. I'll. Uh, everybody knows we agreed on on the big gun, so I'll start out with my uh, my rock steady pick. We all know we don't like taking them. The Ginger and Dutch podcast does not endorse them, but uh, I'm taking as my rock steady top ten of the week. Patrick Reed, uh, <laughs> 2018, he was T23. 2019, he was T13. Last year, he was tied sixth. He's trending in the right direction at this golf tournament. Um, 
tied 21st at the century earlier in the year. Um, and I like Patrick Reed to be a rock steady top 10 pick of the week. And my dark horse, I've been, uh, I've been showing good form with these dark horses. Leishman two weeks ago. Um, and last week with, with Putnam, he didn't get into that top 10 for me, but, um, I'm going with John. You say, huh? I say, huh? Uh, John, huh? He <laughs> was, he was, uh, 2018 T45, 2019 25th, and 20, last year he was 40th. So he hasn't been great, great in this tournament, but that's what you're looking for in a dark horse. Somebody that can, uh, can play the golf course and at least be there and be a live dog for you on the weekend. He's Cal State uh, University grad, so he's used to these greens, used to the weather, um, used to being around L.A., T20 at, uh, at Mayakoba, T21 at the American Express, John Ha as my dark horse of the week, and I'm trying to find him here. Uh, he is 125 to 1 for an outright win, folks, so he's, uh, he's a dark horse, and for our listeners that are betting a little bit of uh, shekels on this, I'll give you a couple other dark horse names that uh, that I almost picked. Jason Koprak, Taylor Gooch, and Tom Hoagie. Uh, take a look, folks, showing some good form at this golf course, especially Koprak. He can bomb it. North Bay native, Canadian, even though he's a U.S. citizen now. But uh, um, there's tons of uh, picks out there, tons of great value picks for this week's tournament. Nice. Look at you throwing them all out there. Uh, well done. And you know what? Hey, I keep uh, putting just a couple on there. And you know what? We're going to hit one of these times. Um, th- this tournament has been known for, uh, they, they have had some, some, I don't like using the word no name, but some, some non big names, uh, win this, uh, this tournament. So you, you never know. And that's what keeps it fun. So listen, before we get into our, our last top topic that, uh, that you've got on the slate for the day, I just want to go back. It's, 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 it's my brain here. And I just want to go back to these, these, these matchups on the weekend. We won't get into it like crazy here, but can we talk a little bit about the, the, the two championships on the weekend? I just want to talk, let's start with the, 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 the green Bay, uh, the Packers and the Bucks game. You know, there was some, you know, questionable ref calls, some poor coaching decisions. Um, as I said to you earlier, uh, Brady looked uh, great at times. He looked bad at times, but um, my other question is, is, is the, with, with all these hot takes that everybody's saying, is this the end for Rogers in green Bay? I hope so, but I doubt it. Uh, be good for the for my my beloved Vikings, but um, the the key was in that game, and you and I talked about this off air uh, earlier, and you argued with me about Coach Arians and that he's not a good situational coacher coach, and we were talking about who was good and who was not, and I just want to take you back to the play at halftime. Um, they could have they could have ultimately kneeled. They could have tried for the field goal. And he calls a timeout. What does he do? He put he puts him out on the on the on the wing. And 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 who was who and who was that boy? Do you remember his name? I remember his name. What was his name? Number ten, right? Oh, because Mr. Miller. Because of who? Because Antonio Brown's not playing. He throws him out there one on one. You've seen it earlier in the season. Boom, bang. Tampa Bay takes a big lead going into half, and they never look back. Matt yeah, Lafleur but- got out coached in that game. Arians was the man and they well deserved the mark going into that Super Bowl. That's a terrible defensive call. That's a ter- whether whether it, whether it was a good call to go for it or not at half he was right in that, you know, do I go and do I not go zone. But what in the hell are you doing Mike Petton going to a single safety high on the right hash 
and letting Tom Brady, you're leaving Kevin King out there, who's been absolutely torched all game long by Evans and by Bray. Like, absolutely everybody was getting open you're against right. Kevin yep. King. He's the guy who eventually ended up having the penalty at the end of the game. Probably shouldn't even have been on the field if they had another corner. Like, you know, Tremont Williams was actually, we were talking about that uh, a couple weeks ago with um, with Valdir possibly being the first player ever in history to play two playoff games for one team. He actually wasn't active um, that week. Yep. Tremont Williams did it this week for the first time in NFL history. That guy should have been on the field because Kevin King was terrible. Terrible defensive play call. Okay, I'll give you, Arians was a little bit better, but come on now. That was just a just bad defense. Yeah, it was bad defense, and it was a, a bad decision. You're right, and and I also, you know, we can argue it because if it would have worked the other way, it would have been different. But you know, if it wasn't Brady, um, I would have maybe did what Matt Lafleur did late in the game there when uh, they decided to go for the field goal. I, I just it, that just didn't make sense when you know who's on the other side of the field there, and you know Brady knows what it's all about. He's not trying to go out there and score. All he's trying to do is, is just not give Rodgers another chance because that's what Lafleur was hoping for, and uh, for and it, and it didn't work out. So um, kudos to kudos to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, and I know the boys on um, NFL Network were talking about. It. I'm glad this whole home field thing has finally happened because it seems like it always pops up every year. So. Um, whether that'll be home field advantage or not uh, remains to be seen. Um, let's flip to the Buffalo KC game, you know, and I really want you to put that clip up that you sent me the other day with Tyree kill when he just right off the line there, uh, you know, with this current roster that they have and when they're healthy, which they certainly look pretty healthy. And now they got two weeks to get even healthier from Kelsey to Hill unreal the speed, which we've always talked about. And let's not forget about Hardman. I know he had that big blunder early in the game, but he had two huge plays to make up for it. They, they seem to be untouchable. Like you're talking dynasty. Um, they've got another two more years after this year with pretty much that entire squad. <sighs> they could go four in a row here. Yeah, they could. They could. And, and um, we – and you specifically, you know, we went back and, and listened to some of the, the podcasts we did in July. And you you mentioned that. And I'll give you kudos for it. You mentioned that this could be a, a, a three to four to five year stretch for the Kansas City Chiefs here um, for them to to really put their their handprint on on NFL history here. The thing the only shot, the only chance I give I give Tampa and it's it's one thing to me and it's what I noticed about. Uh, the Bills game and the, and the Buffalo Bills roster as, as currently constructed is I think the only way to to have a shot to, to beat KC right now is to get home to Mahomes. Okay, no pun intended. You, you're not going to cover you're not going to cover Tyreek Hill for 60 minutes. You're not going to cover Travis Kelsey for 60 minutes. Nobody in the NFL can do that. So to, to, to come up with this grand allure plan of I'm going to go out, we're going to get corners this, and we're going to get safeties this, and and big nickels this, and you're dreaming. You're dreaming. No one's been able to do it for two years, three years, four years. These guys are are top-end talent. Nobody in the NFL has covered them. Like, Kelsey's leading the – other than Stephon Diggs, Kelsey's leading the league in in receiving yards as a tight end. And Hill's Hill's right behind him. It's 1A, 1B. So so don't don't try to go out and cover these guys in my mind. What I want to do is I want to be able to – to do the opposite. I want to be able to 
get home with three and four guys at the pass rush position. Give me an elite pass rusher. That's what I'm trying to do. So, so if I can upset Mahomes and and get him off of the the spot early on, and I know he's a great scrambler and he can make the, all these these great plays, but if you can get pressure right up the middle, right on it, right in his face, you can get your hands up, you can tip a ball or two, make him look to the other side of the field. Right? They love these. They love these three by one sets with Kelsey, and they put Hill in the slot. Well. If, if you've got seven guys back covering, well, I can double cover Kelsey on all by himself out there with a corner and a safety. And then I can double cover Hill up the middle and I can get home with four guys. I actually have a prayer in my mind. If, if not, if I'm not getting home with four guys and I'm covering seven, you could have 10 guys out there with Hill and Kelsey. They're going to find a way to get open, especially when Mahomes scrambles. So that's the only way I see uh, anybody beating them. And, you mark my words, there's a shot here for Tampa. There's not a great shot, but they've got Shaq Barrett. They've got JPP on the outside. Eric Fisher tore Achilles in that game. He's out. They're missing two starting offensive linemen. There's a small little hope there for Tampa Bay to pull off this upset. And, and Brady just has that magnet and, uh, and allure of winning championships. But, you know, back to Buffalo, they, 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 they had some moments there um, where they were close. I You know, I counted five separate times where they – touched and i'm saying touched it's those those plays that that he it makes mahomes so elusive they they didn't necessarily have a good you know four-man rush but when they did bring some pressure they almost got to him like they touched them and you're right i think uh, uh, they need some more speed and they need to get somebody in there because that's the only chance that i see anybody beating uh casey in a in a in a must win game is you got it man you got to disrupt them and the same goes for Brady you know uh, I know one of our our, our good friends uh, who, who loves the Packers uh, he, he uh, commented back to me about oh um, you know they didn't you know Tampa didn't play that good it was all about this that and, and the next thing and, and I'm like that's that's not not the best way to 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 look at it as a and I didn't want to say poor loser but Brady made some amazing throws in that game and that's because he just stood in the pocket I mean you know he did throw three picks, but two of them were just chucks that it didn't really matter because of the situational where they were, uh, you know, end of a end of the half um, or not the end of the half, but um, whatever. What it, it was a long play when they did it, and the, he threw it way into yeah, the yeah. One was a was a glorified punt for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. So so you're right. It it will be a close game, and and those injuries are going to be a, a a key factor. And if if the Bucks can get home a couple times. We'll see if if Mahomes is healthy and if he can do that. But it's a steep, steep climb. So, yeah, and and I think you're right. I think I think Green Bay needs to look within. I think to for, for that football game, um, did the did the Bucks play their best game? No, they didn't. They didn't play offensively. They didn't play a great second half. Yep. Um, defensively, they played an amazing second half. Uh, offensively, in the first half, they played flawless. Uh, converted on some third and longs, and they did all that. But ultimately, to me, for any Green Bay fan, it's you got to look within. You got to look at your coaching decisions. You got to look at your star quarterback. Uh, you inter- you intercepted Tom Brady three times in the second half, and you got seven points out of that. Yeah, uh, that's not good enough, and that falls at the feet of Aaron Rodgers. And it's another argument for another day on another podcast. But yeah, um, I can't. I can no longer put Aaron Rodgers in the top three or four quarterbacks of all time. Uh, when you're one in four in, in NFC championship games, I'm sorry, but that's just flat out not good enough to me. And that cannot be considered the greatest quarterback to ever play football, whether it's on the road or at home. Tom Brady just went on the road three times 
And hey, he deserves every reward that he gets. And that reward is a home Super Bowl. Good for him. You you just did something that's only been done five or six times in NFL history. You deserve a home Super Bowl as much as I hate Tom Brady. Um, the Bucks deserve to win that football game. Yeah, and 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 I'm tired of Packers fans saying, "Oh, you know, give uh, give Rogers all these uh, these superstars, et cetera, et cetera." I mean, last time I checked, you look at those two boys and you look at the 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 yards that they put up, and they did it pretty much all year. And I know you've got Devonta Adams in there, but um, Scantling had a had a, a solid game, and so did Lazard. So, you know, are you looking for like a a, a sweet marquee name to come in there? Um, I don't know. I, it's just excuse after excuse. And, and you're right. I mean, yeah, he's going to get the MVP this year. And I think he's uh, well-deserved with, uh, with his numbers this year, but um, I, I can't agree with you more that I, I don't have him in that, uh, that category. I wish I did because years back when he was uh, in his little run there, I, I thought he was the, the, the Mahomes that's, that we've known to see in these last couple of years. Um, it'll be interesting. Baby goat, like they keep saying, baby goat versus the goat. Uh, yeah. We'll see how it goes. And that's, the, that's the hard thing too. And especially for me is you don't want to shun off all these, these nice messages and, and people reaching out to you and stuff and saying, Oh, the, the future is bright. And you know what? And it may sound a little bit heartless from my side, but I don't want to hear it because yeah. you know what? Ask Dan Marino, ask Dan Marino when he went to the Super Bowl at 23 years old, how his second time was. He never got back. Yep. Ask Aaron Rodgers if he's been back to the Super Bowl after winning. He's never been back. Yep. And the list, can, I could, and this is just off the top of my head because I haven't done any research on this, and I'm just spouting off from the mouth here. But when you have an opportunity and you're down to the final four, you it's no longer about feel-good seasons and the Buffalo Bills winning two, two football games. It's about winning the goddamn football game, folks. Yep. It's about taking advantage of opportunities because you don't know when you're going to get back, especially with the cap as it is. Um, yes, it was a great season by Buffalo and I'm appreciative of it. And I, and I love all of you for reaching out, but to me, that's a, that comes down to two words and that's missed opportunity. And that's flat out where it is. And, and Aaron Rodgers has had many of them. Dan Marino had many of them. Um, Deshaun Watson's had many of them. Uh, Russell Wilson's had many of them. These guys don't look at that as, as a, as a, Hey, that was a great year. Yeah. They, they, they say these things to the media, but I'd put it to a man that they all feel that it's a missed opportunity. When you get down to a championship football game, you're thinking about winning that game and winning the next one to be Super Bowl champ. And that's why right now Brady's the best of all time. Anyways, there we go. Well, let's get off to our last topic here. We got a little NBA chat, and I wanted to bring something up with you uh, in the NBA, a little trend, a little emergence that we've seen. And, and two, you know, two, three, four years ago, we talked about, you know, is the big man dead in the NBA? And I just wanted to bring to light to, to you, as, as and I know you know this, but and to all of our listeners, that the big man in the NBA is no longer dead. There's tons of them out there. Dutch, what do you think? I know you got your opinion on it. I've got a bunch of guys I want to kind of shout out here. So is the, is the big man in the NBA alive, alive again in 2020, 2021? Yeah, for sure, but in a in a different way, and and, and you know, and I want to talk about you know if if we're ever going to see that that old fashioned, you know, high low post and 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 drop the ball in there and and see what these guys can do down in the low end, they are there and and they're they're shooting more and more threes. Um, they are they're a big big presence because a athleticism, um, obviously their height's a, a major thing, but. I don't know if we'll ever see it back to the way it was back in the Ewing days um, and, you know, looking at all those big men down there, Parrish and company. Um, 
the analytics I don't think is going to ever allow it. I mean, you look at the way they're the, the percentages that they're chucking up three pointers, they had to adapt and they're adapting. So my answer is yes and no. Yes. You need the big man and the big man's, you know, just start, started to figure out how to shoot the three ball. And, and that's to me where the big man's coming into play. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think another spot there as well, not only, not only three ball, we see all these, you know, um, great big, big men that that we can start to name down the list and and i'll get to them but i think the pick and roll game you know the the nba game now as we see it in the in the modern game here is is one about the three and two about isolation or or one-on-one or isolating certain scenarios um against certain defenders and i think we've seen a lot in the pick and roll game the pick and pop how many how many big men are, you know, and it's a, it's an extension of what you were talking about with the big man being able to shoot the three and that the mid-range jumper, right? It, it, you know, the big man comes in, he sets the screen, he pops out, boom, 17 feet, 15 feet. And it started with the likes of like a LaMarcus Aldridge, right? You know, he kind of, he was one of those big pick and pop guys. And now it, it's, it goes across the board from Embiid to Sabonis to Clint Capella to, the, to um, Bam Adebayo. Anthony Davis and uh, Nikolai uh, Jokic and it, it the, the list goes on and on. Perzingis, like there's just so many uh, Abaka, like there's so many so many big men in the game now, and they're all having a huge effect on it. Um, not only on the rebounding side, but on in the pick and pop game, in the three game, and and just being a productive big man, and it's nice to see. Yeah, and, and you know what, and, and that will slow down a little bit as it gets to crunch time because you know there's really no defense in in the uh, the NBA, and and I know you didn't forget about him, but you know you got to remember Dirk Nowitzki too, right? I mean, he started back, uh, he was one of those those first seven footers that was was going out there and launching that three ball, and you know he was very versatile. I just like I said, I think the athleticism of these guys now has has um, really opened the door up for getting back to what you said, like the, a lot of the pick and rolls, the easy dunks, the easy plays, but the NBA is so fast, like you know they're they're only using 12 13 seconds of the shot clock on a regular basis the games the the points are ridiculous like you know you're talking 120 a night and and they're just pounding the pavement and and these big men can run the floor as well which is another addition to to why it's you know starting to come back so yeah i agree with you i think there's uh, there's something to be said about it uh, you know will we ever see a you know a slowdown game where you see a guy you know posting up down on the i i don't know i mean maybe in small situational spots but um that's that's kind of you know gone out of the game in, in my opinion i i think yeah, I think I think it is. I think, and there's not many guys in in that um, in that big man category that that can do that. Guys are starting to um, develop their games in that new modern form. Like when they come up through college and and high school and all these through the ranks, that's how they're de- developing their game. Yeah. You know, you still got the the Joel Embiid's, the the Jonas Val- Jonas Valanciunas, um, those guys that can back Rudy Gobert that can still back down and. Um, they, you still have that. You still see some of these big men that when they get the the six eight or the six nine that small center um, come on, they'll yeah. they'll they'll drop down and, and back down a little bit because they know they've got a three four um, inch advantage on it. But on a night in night out basis, you're right. It, it's something that um, we're just probably not going to see here for another maybe even out of our lifetime. Well, yeah, and and the biggest thing that we never touched on really is is that you know traditionally, um, if you look at it across the board, most of these big men just can't can't 
you know, or, or I shouldn't say can't, but they're just not that productive from the free throw line. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure glad that we've gotten rid of the hack of shacks and, and, and that, that you don't see that that often anymore because they're just not allowing it to happen down there. They're not allowing, they're not putting that ball into those, those situations. So um, it's evolved the big man position. Um, it's, it, you're right. It's a never ending uh, circle on how, where and how it's going to change if it's ever going to change back to it but um it, it sure is exciting i i don't know I, I i do love the nba i know you're you're more of ncaa but um there's some good talent in the nba and and i and i do like uh the, the fact that some of these young guys are given an opportunity and 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 canada can't be any stronger right now with in the in the nba with the, the talent that we have in there so it's it's great and it's great for uh, for canada basketball across the board yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I didn't want to get too much into it. And, and we had some um, inside information from from friends of our show, but uh, it was almost a, a ginger's garbage there on FIBA uh, for the, the fine on Canada basketball. But you're right, Canada basketball couldn't be in a stronger position. We've had no more uh, than this year with the NCAA with more Canadians going down south to, to continue to play ball. Um, you know, friend of the show, Kevin Pang goes overseas, Europe. Um, we've never been stronger. So it's great to see in the NBA and worldwide in all facets of the game. You got it. We'll keep it going for sure. Well, Dutch, uh, another great episode. We've got some big guests coming up uh, in the month of February. We've got our uh, Super Bowl recap live show with more inf- information to follow on that. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Share us across the board, folks. And thanks for tuning in to the Ginger and Dutch podcast. I'm Ginger, and I'm Dutch.